Welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah, a queer therapist, writer, and journalist. And I'm her husband, Alex, a communications professional and educator. And I am Jessica, here producing and resident monogamist for the podcast. (laughs) Today we have a very special guest. She says she's turned her love of people into her life's work. She's a Seattle-based sex worker, a self-deprecating dog mom, a fellow communications media and journalism nerd. Vaughn Wolf, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm so excited for us to have this conversation. There's so many things just in your bio that I can't wait to talk about, but to dive right in, tell me about your dogs. Oh my dogs. Okay, so um, thanks for going easy on me. I my my girls. So they're two pit bulls, um, rescue pit bulls who are not the quote unquote good dogs. Um, but I have a six foot fence around my house, a lot of time on my hands, and a lot of determination. So I've made it work. And they're just my, and I say self-deprecating dog mom because I know that dogs are not children. They're not human children. (laughs) I'm not one of those people, sort of, but um, I go there sometimes. And so they're just my world. And the reason I say, hey, I don't want to be out later than midnight. Um, I got to go home and stare into the eyes of my babies. It's great to have that excuse. It is. (laughs) Alex and I talk about that all the time. I think especially in the moments, and maybe you can relate to this, where you're just like in the thick of it with caregiving to a creature, a child. Uh, And you're like, okay, wait, what what was good about this? Why Mm. do we do this? The the only good thing is that you get to like leave parties early. Yes. And go home early because you have to relieve the babysitter or whatever. At very bad moments, at our rock bottom moments, we're like, but remember, they're an excuse for canceling (laughs) on anything. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yep. All right. So what about sex work? Let's talk about that next. We'll definitely be back to discuss dog moms and sick kids and excuses more. We we all know why everybody tuned in. It was to talk about dogs. It was to talk about pit bulls, obviously. Dog talk. (laughs) Dog talk. I'll be on a dog talk podcast (laughs) if anyone's interested. That'll be a spinoff podcast of this. I like that. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background in sex work. I, I love this part of your bio that you say you've turned your love of people into your life's work. Tell us about it. Yeah. So, um, I was, using my degree in journalism as a social worker. Nope, I was not. I was just um, someone with a degree that could get a job at a shelter um, when I was 20. And so I do have a degree in journalism and I did do that for a while, but um, I started focusing more on social work stuff. The work was more consistent, a lot more consistent. And at the time, um, I wasn't raised a lot of money and or a lot of historical wealth or any historical wealth, really. So um, it was a choice. My choice to be a social worker um, was, you know, based on needing consistent work. And so I talk about this because it, it actually does directly relate to my job currently as a sex worker. But I was a social worker for over 12 years. I worked with women and kids who'd experienced domestic violence and loved my clients. Uh, my clients were amazing. They came from all different backgrounds um, and were people who had been through a lot. So um, one reason I wanted to leave that job is because people in charge of programming didn't quite understand what 
um, the people in their programs needed in order to, you know, restart life. Um, a lot of folks who've been through DV have been, um, made homeless because of it. So getting them in housing and a lot of the, the ways that we could help them were just, I was directly blocked from doing, um, what I knew was a good thing. So, um, by that time I was pretty burnt out by the time I was in my early thirties. Um, so I was 30 and I had dreams. I wanted to buy a house. Um, I wanted to travel and, um, the job I was in didn't, allow for that financially. Um, and I had a few friends who were sex workers and I said, Hey, maybe I should try this out. Um, I do happen to need, need the money. Um, and so began my, my career as Vaughn six years ago, um, with the helpful, with the helpful guidance of a few friends who were really kind. Um, and that's sort of how I started. Um, and I noticed almost immediately that my skills as someone who'd um, worked with folks um, in my previous pr- p- um, profession directly related to the new one I was in. Um, and that I was good at it for that reason, sort of making the immediate connection that was needed um, to facilitate a comfortable experience. Um, that is something that was absolutely a boon when I was starting sex work. Um, de-escalating. Um, when I started, it wasn't, I, I was being as safe as I could be, but um, there were times when things got a little iffy because I didn't quite know how to screen as well as I do now. Um, and so that came in handy. Um, and... So from there, yeah, I just kind of, I kind of went from there and gosh, six years ago, that's nothing and everything, right? Like it feels like, feels like forever, but it's really not that long. So now I'm 37 and have achieved most of my financial goals. Um, and now I'm at the point in my job, um, as a sex worker where I can be, um, a little more picky about who I see. Um, I think I was talking with a friend, but I said, if you spend enough time doing this job regularly, um, you're going to turn into who you hang out with. Um, and that's the same with any job, right? Who you surround yourself with is kind of who rubs off on you more. And then you pick up those traits. So, um, in the last few years, I've been able to be a little more selective about who I see, which is, which is awesome. And also I want to say that my experience is vastly different than every other sex worker's experience. So, um, yeah, and I could go into that more, but this is my own experience. I'm speaking for myself only. I know it's hard sometimes for people to understand and to um, process that a group like mine um, has varied experiences. And I don't think that's an evil thing that they're doing, but my experience is my own, right? So, um, yeah. And we yeah. were talking a lot about how, uh, before we got on with you, just about how. Um, you know, as a, as a media person, um, you've probably, I guess anybody in any profession probably feels this, but their profession is probably not depicted very accurately by the media. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like just the ways that for people who haven't, uh, been a sex worker or, or worked with a sex worker, like what, what, what do we have wrong about it? Yeah, I think, 
Hmm. There, there are a lot of things people have wrong about it. I think one, one thing that pops into my mind is that this industry is somehow more evil or exploitative than other industries can be. Um, and I think that's wrapped in, up in the idea that, um, I mean, the U.S. was founded by Puritans, and so sex was this obsession they had. Um, and so because the job is based on the obsession that our country was partially born from, um, people sort of just have these preconceived notions about what sex should be, um, even if they're super um, progressive, right? So um, I think that the uh, nonprofit industrial complex is incredibly exploitative. And I think that they have it wrong mostly. Um, and when people say they don't respect my job, I wonder, would I respect your job? I don't know what you do. I think it's, you know, wrong to drill for oil. I don't respect that. But like, you don't see me trying to criminalize people for it. Um, and so that's, that's something that I think of is the is something people have wrong about my industry and it's bad. Yeah, it, it is bad. And I think most industries are bad. That's, that's interesting. Just thinking about how, because of the upset mm, puritanical obsession with sex in this country, sex work as an industry is singled out as kind of assumed to be exploitative and bad or uniquely right. exploitative and bad. Yeah. And uniquely. I, yes. Right. And I really appreciate the comparison to like people who are involved in, say, an extractive industry, like mm -hmm. oil drilling, for example, whether yeah. or not you ethically or morally uh, agree with that, yeah. saying that the assumption is that it should be criminalized or that people involved in it are bad uh, is, you know, we don't do that with any other industry. Mm -mm, we don't. Um, you know, just... Going back for a moment, Vaughn, you said something about how you feel like you become the people you hang out with. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned uh, that having some of the qualities that you developed through uh, being in social work in particular uh, have helped you in this job. I, I just wanted to touch back on both of those things because they really stood out to me. First of all, I guess my first question is, with the clients that you now see, what are some of the qualities that you notice or look for in clients specifically? Um, and then, yeah, I'll start there. I think that's my first question. Oh, that's yeah. a great question. Um, <clears throat> I look, so I immediately look for someone who, um, in the screening process, who fills out my, my form. Um, that shows me that they are willing to take direction and they respect and understand that I am a professional. So that immediate, that signals that to me immediately. Um, let's see what else other. So being open, um, just about life in general experiences in general, um, people who are, you know, they don't have to have tons of life experience. I mean, I, I don't, I maybe have more than the average bear, but, um, <laughs> I, you know, I study things like astrology. I'm in school for astrology and you don't have to believe it, but when someone responds positively, um, it shows that they're secure in their own beliefs and they might say, oh, I don't know anything about that, but that's interesting. Um, and, you know, instead of, and people do shut down too. I mean, there's that joke about how men hate astrology. Um, but, uh, 
a lot of my long running clients um, have no interest in in it at all, but um, you know are courteous when I talk about it um, and open open to ideas. I guess they don't have to be just like me, but um, and I don't have to be just like them, but being open to being around people who are different. Um, I also look for kindness when we're in public together. So courtesy and kindness to wait staff is huge for me. Um, if I don't see that, that is, that's a fast track to me not seeing someone again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, um, I feel like these are also good rules for life. Yeah, for basically anything. Well, they are, right? And that's and that's the thing is that this is my life. And Mm -hmm. so um, who you hang out with is who you kind of become. So um, that's true for for sex work as well. I think that we go into this or I went into this thinking like, oh, I'm going to deal with a lot of assholes. And I have. Mm. Um, But I think that it's okay to say that I don't have to. Also, and if someone's going, if if someone's out there going into this work, um, just keep that in mind. Um, mm. so, that, yeah, sorry. That no, no, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, that makes me want to ask. Like, I think that the average person might assume that your clients are more. There are more assholes represented in your clients in people that are going to see a sex worker than the average population. Um, is that something that you, you know, found? Okay, good question. So I think that there are more predators because we are criminalized and predators know mm-hmm. they can get away with hurting right. us. Mm. That is true. Predators know that they can get away with hurting us, so they come for us more. It's not because we are less worthy of love, care, and respect, but it is because of criminalization um, alone that that happens. Because uh-huh. if this was decriminalized, we could very easily handle situations a lot differently than we're given the tools to now, Right. Um, and, and so, so speaking to that right away about criminalization, but even people who, um, have no, even people who are physically safe, um, but sort of mentally, emotionally, um, jarring or hard to work with, I think there may be more than the average coming to us. Um, and and I think that that's, that's hard for us a lot, of course. Um, but I think that there are a lot of really great clients out there, too. There really are. And I think that we actually lose a lot of great clients because of criminalization. Um, the good people are scared of getting caught, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> and, so interesting. Yeah. And so when people say, oh, if it's decriminalized, it's going to, prices are going to shoot down, a buyer's market, whatever. And I just say, you know, I mean, it remains to be seen and we'll probably never know. But honestly, I think it'll be a huge influx of really good clients. Um, And uh, yeah, I think, yeah. So that's, those are my, those are some of my reflections. Also, when I started out, I did think that I had I, I assumed this too. I had this, this idea too. And so I sort of, um, and because I had financial goals I hadn't met yet, I was more willing to entertain, um, people who are less than courteous. Um, and once I hit those financial goals, it just wasn't something that I needed to do anymore. So, you know, it's really interesting. I think there's a segue into talking about non-monogamy here Yeah, in the sense that because of our culture's 
obsessive morality uh, around Mm. sex and sexuality. I think a lot of folks don't find themselves having the opportunity to assess for themselves what they actually feel about those things, right? So in regards to sex work, um, I would be so curious to just like do a general poll of people and see Mm. how many folks have ever actually stopped and asked themselves like, what do I think about this and why? Or Mm -hmm. how many people have just absorbed from the culture whatever those misconceptions or messages are that you were describing that Mm -hmm. uh, it's more exploitative, uniquely exploitative, that there's something morally wrong with it. And I think similarly with non-monogamy, I mean, if if there's a segue here, I'm, I'm looking to find it. I think a lot of people, we absorb these messages about sex, sexuality, morality. And I say this all the time to my own clients as a therapist, these messages are very easy to absorb and can be a lot harder to extract and examine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I was thinking about that as you were talking, that that we just, it's the water that we swim in, it's the air that we breathe. And mm-hmm. I think we rarely take the time out to really ask ourselves, what do we think about this and why? Yeah. And I think that that, I mean, correlates to, and I wish too, that we could collect data. God, I Hmm. love data. I love it. Uh, But because of criminalization, we we really can't do anything huge and serious. But um, there are, I would say there are more poly sex workers than the average industry. um, Because we have had time to review our relationships with sex um, and intimacy and romance. So while it's really important to say that um, no, absolutely not all sex workers are poly, um, a lot are monogamous, but I think that we are sort of uniquely situated to have, um, had those moments of self-reflection as are, as do our partners have, as, um, as well as our partners have needed to do that work too, um, which is, which translates well to, um, to being poly, um, but it's not the same thing, but it, 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 it can be helpful. I want to dig into all of that. Before we do, Vaughn, I noticed there's a light clicking on your side. And I was wondering, I'm like, is that a little bulldog's tag or something? Oh, on God, your computer? no, that's a pin. I'm going to I'm oh. going to stop the clicking. Stop the click. <laughs> that reminds me of. So- Aha. It's funny. That reminds me of something that a journalism professor once told me. It was a documentarian, uh-huh. like a, a documentary uh-huh. professor. They were like, never let the person you're interviewing have a pen. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. They're like, because they'll just start tapping yeah. it. You guys. <laughs> you should have so taken sorry. your pens away. <laughs> I remember that now. Okay, no problem. I'm glad I checked. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, it's so interesting just that, that, like, I guess when you're working in a field that's criminalized, like, you have to it's much more likely that people are going to be more open-minded about things that have stigmas around them, including non-monogamy or polyamory. Um, But yeah, obviously there are some sex workers, it sounds like that are, uh, that are monogamous and some that are, that are not. Would you tell us a little bit more about that, Vaughn? This is a great example of things. I think really lazy assumptions people might make about, sex workers. Tell us about the distinction for sex workers around monogamy and non-monogamy and and why people might have a misimpression about that. Yeah, I think um, that people, I can see what where the assumption is coming from. Um, we are not taught to value um, the labor of intimacy and the labor of sex um, because it has been feminized labor, right? Um, and folks who are seen as lesser than have traditionally done um, sexual labor. So 
Um, it is sort of inherently in our culture, um, seen as something that should just sort of be free and given. Right. Um, and so that, that assumption, um, directly correlates to the idea that, oh, if, if, uh, like sex work is not actually work, it's just something someone does for fun because they like their clients. If you like you, you're not allowed to like your clients. That's some, sometimes people get into this, especially in relationships and monogamous relationships. I've seen it where if a worker actually, um, has a good time at work, then that feels like cheating to the other partner. Um, because, you know, they should just be not having fun at work. Why would you have fun? At, and see, see how that's messed up. Like, Interesting. if you worked at FedEx and had fun with your coworker, um, <laughs> you know, your partner's not going to be mad at you and say, you didn't high five me like you high five Jim. Um, but that's, you know, yeah. and sex is not a high five, but it could be. I mean, I hope it is sometimes. <laughs> I've high fived before. Um but there can be high five moments in sex. Sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Does can I ask? Does being a professional uh, change your orientation towards sex? Uh, you know, in your private life. It does. It does. It makes me pickier. It's made me pickier, and also um, I'm so busy with work stuff, and it's not always direct appointments, but just work things. That and I was going to mention this. I honestly don't have time to date. And I haven't for a few years. Mm -hmm. um, the occasional hookup happens, but nothing that is ongoing because I put a lot of time and intention in relationships. And um, at this point, my other so I have other projects, my my own relationship, and barely have any time mm -hmm. for for others. But yeah, it has changed. It's made me pickier. Um, it's taken up a lot of my time, <laughs> and it has it is changed my relationship to sex I think I'm less likely to want to have it with someone new or try to date someone new Sarah's like really I'm doing like some faces here I heavy think. Does, nodding does over here re re relate <laughs> yeah. to like being a therapist as well it just, oh my gosh please take over I'm like so interesting in fun yeah I well I was just like going down this rabbit hole listening to you talk you were you said Sex and emotional intimacy is this feminized labor that is often culturally been seen as something that should be given away for free, not valued, can be extracted by people who have more social power than you. Um, and as you were talking about that, I was thinking about being a therapist, um, mm. that in many ways, my job is about like holding space for people's complex emotions, mm. um, being a safe space for taboo ideas, thoughts, fears, um, being a place where they can go and explore things that maybe they can't explore in other parts of their lives. Yes. Um, and that that's a big part of what I do. And I'm only about three years into doing that. So I have mm -hmm. half, half the time that you do, yeah. but I have absolutely seen it impact the way I think about my personal relationships. And when you said I'm way more picky and I don't want to date as much, I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Because yeah. there's like, you know, and I, I'm kind of thinking out loud, so jump in if I'm saying anything that sounds really off base here. Uh, but in a way, the novelty of, you know, creating emotional intimacy with someone is yeah. not there for me because that's what I do for my work. 
So yeah. if I want to create that intimacy with someone, it has to be someone that I really want to create it with. It's like yep. the act of doing itself is not as interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bing, 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 ding, ding, ding. <laughs> that I share, I share those, I share those feelings. That's so cool. I learned, I'm so excited to learn something about myself today. Yes. Likewise. <laughs> you know, that's, um, I, I really do feel that. And I'm not shut off from people. I actually feel more prepared to handle intimacy than I ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's come with age and also the gift of my work. Um, and having to understand my own boundaries over the years, those took years to develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it is, it is there. And um, yeah. So I think that a lot of folks, myself included, before I started practicing non-monogamy, uh, I was just like, this is something that is defined by having sex with multiple people. This mm-hmm. is the first definition of non-monogamy. And as I've entered into non-monogamy and learned so much more about it and learned so much more about myself, I I have to like laugh at how not that it is for me. Mm. Um, mm. But sometimes that can be hard to put my finger on. Like just because it's about things other than sex. Because it's about yeah. things other than sex for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, sex is included in it, but it is not defined by sex for me. So I, I wanted to ask you about that, Vaughn. Yeah. So I think, let's see, partners of monogamous sex workers and I can't, I can't speak to, I, it's not my personal experience too. I have to say that out loud. I am not a monogamous person. Um, but just from what I've seen and so it is anecdotal, um, they see their partner. It's maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's okay for their partner to, um, have sex with other people, but that emotional intimacy is too much for them. Um, which could be just something like having fun or having had a good day at work. Um, that's where they feel threatened because, um, they see our work as only sexual labor and not emotional labor as well. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that's something. Vaughn, you're blowing my mind right now. I'm just realizing, you know, going back to the FedEx example and this idea of work and what is legal and criminalized and so on and so forth. What I do at work on any given day would be considered cheating by mm-hmm. a lot of monogamous mm. standards if it yes. weren't legal. Yep. Right? Like, I mm. sit in mm-hmm. session. Like, building emotional intimacy with people. I talk yeah. about oh, yeah. sex. I talk about, like, their most intimate experiences, secrets. Mm-hmm. They tell me things that they have never told anyone else. Mm-hmm. Right? They tell me about sexual experiences that they've had. They talk about being attracted to me, right? Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of this. Imagine that was my FedEx uh, worker. It never friend, occurred right? to me to be jealous of that, but I, <laughs> yeah. probably because you're getting paid. So I'm, but, I'm just glad you're bringing home. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the, the money helps. No, but my point being, oh. it's so interesting to think about how no one would characterize it that way in large part because it's legal. Oh, yeah. We talk about that in sex work circles all the time. Okay. Um. So since we're on the subject, Sarah and I both had uh, questions that we really wanted to ask you. um, And we're going to get back to some non-monogamy stuff in a minute. But first, when we were talking about having you on the show, it occurred to me, we were were on a walk and we were having a conversation about like male sexuality and how hard it is to kind of understand because men as a general rule, tend to be so sort of like 
closed off about it and our cultural just depictions of it are so sort of like exaggerated and so many men that I know are like, oh, that doesn't really reflect my experience or mm. what I think. And then it occurred to me that like, oh, Vaughn is probably going to have some interesting things to say about that, having been like exposed to a lot of different men's sexuality in like a, a pretty intimate way. Um, mm-hmm. So my question is, what is our deal? What's going on? Do you want to know the deal? <laughs> I want to know the deal. Know yeah. The deal, baby. Okay. Tell, deal. tell us the deal. Is that in the United States, largely by age 10, you're not allowed to hug anyone except for your mom or your sisters and maybe your dad. Like touch is removed almost immediately from, from boys um, at too young of an age. Mm-hmm. Um, and suddenly everything is assumed to be sexual coming from you. Um, and so that physical intimacy that all, all humans require is removed, I think, far too young. Um, <clears throat> and any, any man who wants to give his son or his whatever a hug is seen as a predator. Um, and maybe a predator. Hey, actually, he may be a predator. <laughs> I don't know. But I think that um, boys are socialized in the United States from what I've witnessed, um, in a way that removes removes um, physical non-sexual physical intimacy far too soon. And so you go from being able to hug your sisters and your mom and maybe your dad to then getting a girlfriend, and that's the only other person you can touch unless you're a wrestler or a football player. And then you have to go through that in, like intricate um, path to being able to touch another man without being seen as you know, the vilified archetype of gay. Um, so it's just, I think masculinity is really a controlled thing mm-hmm. in, in our society. Um, and I think it gets really confusing as you grow older because you're actually really nuanced people um, sort of thrown into, in a lot of ways, this cookie cutter idea of what it means to be a grown up and to be a man. Um and a lot of people work through it. A lot of people don't. Um, there's way more nuance than what I've just said. A lot of people's experiences are different from what I just said, but that's sort of my general so line on it. Do you see the men who who see you as like when they're with you, are they are they kind of like breaking through that and being more of themselves? Or do you think it's you often see them just kind of like projecting? I like to think I facilitate an experience where people feel like they can be more themselves. Yeah. I hope so. I hope that that's what's happening. Um, I hope that that's where I am at in my job and I'm able to kind of call those people to me and um, then facilitate that. Um, Yeah. Vaughn, I'm really moved by your description of that. And I like found myself feeling emotional thinking about, the way we start policing boys uh, yeah. in that way at such an early age. And I have an almost seven-year-old son, and you absolutely see it. Um, I right? would say, especially yeah. in this past year, you can just mm-hmm. see that happening. Um, and as I was listening to you talk, I was just struck by how we treat masculinity and male sexuality like something that is incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering why. Why do you think that is? Why do we treat it as something so dangerous? I think because it is used as a weapon Mm -hmm. sometimes. And it's been used as a weapon enough 
that people are scared. And I think that it's a shitty cycle. It's a bad cycle um, of, of abuse, right? And so the most common way someone is abused is by someone in their family, sexually abused. Um, and damage has been done over generations. Um, and we live in a culture that does not, um, that, that values aggression, um, that values, that doesn't value healing and care and touch, right? The lowest paid workers, look at who the lowest paid workers are. Um, they work with children at, and do domestic labor um, and work in agriculture, but um, all of which are incredibly nurturing essentially nurturing either directly or indirectly. Um, and the highest paid, who are the highest paid? I'm not sure, but I think it's the best, the people who are best at conquering, right? So I think that that is what it is. I'm not, I'm not advocating for a party or a political stance around that even. I'm just saying what's happening um, and saying that that will mean that healing um, from trauma that happens is not going to be prioritized. And a lot of trauma has happened through the weaponization of male sexuality, of what male sexuality quote unquote should be. And I cannot say enough that um, men in general are not inherently violent people. I just don't believe it. Um, I just believe that we live in a culture that has sort of weaponized this thing that they've made or this like this outcome that has been desired and has been seen as profitable. And who do you have left is the people who are, who've survived it. And then the people who've done it themselves and the people who've been dehumanized enough to do it themselves. Um, and yeah. And I'm just thinking also about how, in a racist, sexist, extractive, capitalist culture like this, privilege mm -hmm. is defended with in the most violent and brutal ways, right? Or protected. Privilege is protected mm -hmm. in these really violent and brutal ways. And that may also help us explain or understand um, this incredible fear of male sexuality, um, and our mm -hmm. reactions to it. Yep. And that's going to look different from male to like from person to person as well, because black men's sexuality is vilified in a very specific way. Mm -hmm. Um, white men's sexuality is vilified in a very specific way. So those are going to be vastly different, um, just depending on who they are or who they're seen as. Right. Um, and how they're treated by power. Right, um, and their their relative proximity to it. Right. So when I say all of that, it is not all-encompassing. It's important for me to say of everyone's experiences and or how all sex workers think about it. But, yeah, I think that um, men's sexuality is really dehumanized, and I hate that because they don't deserve that. It's I think of all the little boys, and I'm, like, desperately – hoping that they have other options other than being cut off emotionally and physically. Do you, do you think about your work with men as like healing that somehow, or like as do you think it's like a liberatory experience for your clients? Hmm. I think that <clears throat> some aspects of 
my work can be liberatory for them. I think that they mostly take what they can get from that. Um, I wouldn't say I facilitate a liberatory experience on purpose, if that makes any sense. Uh-huh. It just you know, um, and I think I, I mean, I think of the clients I work with who are a little older, who were raised in a very specific kind of masculinity that was really, really, really hard. Um, and, and a few people who I'm, who I'm close with clients who I'm close with, um, who were denied other kinds of healing because of the masculinity they were raised in, um, are sort of, it's sort of a gateway, like hanging out with me, right. Is a bit of a gateway of being like, Hey, I, you know, don't be stressed about this or this. And they, they've never been told that. Um, they didn't understand it was an option. So I, I think that it's liberating, perhaps, if that what I just said makes sense, perhaps in that context. Wow. I, I love this uh, line of conversation. I'm really appreciating it. I'm wondering if we can fold in sex yes. work and non-monogamy again mm-hmm. um, and talk a little bit about about that. Alex, I know you had some thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I was just trying to to think about the ways that um, you know, certainly, uh, there are some ways that sex work might, um, well, I guess to, to dial it back a second, a lot of the people who listen to our podcast are people who are either like kind of very early on in a non-monogamy journey or opening a relationship or thinking about it, um, and kind of like exploring that. And that's, that's why they're listening probably. Um, so I, I'm just curious what, about ways that sex work can kind of fit into that and what your thoughts are, are about that. Um, yeah. you know, in, and I guess the things that come up for me or, and you've probably experienced some of these things or had clients who were, who were doing this, but just like the first time that you're having sex outside of a long-term relationship, like I, I'm betting for most people, they're not going to a sex worker, but I could see, <laughs> I could see some, some reasonable appeal to taking that approach because of the, like the catching feelings thing, right? Like you're sort of like, <laughs> getting uh you're getting the sex part out of the way without a relationship around it does that make okay, sense okay so here's what's interesting here's what's interesting a lot of the clients i have who are in non-monogamous relationships come to me because they are sensitive guys who know that they need a professional to start with because they can't just be intimate with anyone huh. they they want someone to sort of guide the experience um, and have been with their partner for many years and just are, and are interested and want to do this thing, but know that it might not go the way they want it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they've sort of just been, okay, so let me, I'll, I need to explain one, one, one observation I've had as a sex worker is that <clears throat> the kind of sex you've been having is the kind of sex your body is trained to have. And so you might not el- elicit the reactions you want from your body if you start having it differently. And that could be a different thing. That could be a different position. That could be a different whatever. Um, and so some people maybe know that or have a instinctually know that. And so they want to come to someone who would have the tools to sort of work with and around that. Um, and, that's that's a good number of the non-monogamous clients I've seen. 
um, that's kind of why they're coming to me. They're like, I want to start, you know, in this way. Um, and they, they, you know, they've, they've been having sex with the same person for 20 years, 15 years, whatever. And they're like, what is this? Is this a thing? Or is this a thing I just do with my person or like, you know, mm. they're just kind of checking in, um, which is cool too. Yeah. I guess I'm glad to hear people do that. Cause it does seem like a great and, and sort of self, a self knowing thing to do. Like, I'm not going to involve another uh, person who, you know, I'm building a relationship with right away, but like, I'm going to, you know, kind of work, work some stuff out and take responsibility on my own first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and have a person who knows how to, how to kind of work with them on that. Um, and yeah, take, yeah, that responsibility thing and the catching feelings thing absolutely is, is um, what I've seen. I've also seen um, couples who, I don't know if they identify as non-monogamous, but um, the partner is like, hey, look, I don't want to have sex anymore. Um, mm. Maybe there's a physical thing happening. Maybe it's just not happening for the other partner anymore, but they're still madly in love. Um, and they say, yep, you can absolutely you know, see escorts, um, keep it in on the rails or whatever, and do your thing. Um, and then, you know, come home to me. So I've seen that too. Hmm. I really love these examples. I'm wondering, you've been working as a sex worker for six years. So, uh, and you were talking about how it's hard to gather data. So I don't know if you can answer this question, but I'm wondering, have you seen more of a trend in the direction of people who are exploring non-traditional relationships or non-monogamy come to sex workers? <laughs> Anecdotally, I would say yes, but I would have a few addendums or a few asterisks for that. Um, is that, or at least one, is that I now I think I've sort of built up more of a reputation in my city. It's clear that I'm a professional um, and I'm a little older too than what people would consider the me um, the median age of a sex worker. So I'm 37. I tell people I'm 37, <laughs> so I could see how that could be a little more appealing to um, people who are being intentional in this way, um, especially partners being okay with their partners seeing someone, you know, they're like, oh, okay, she's a professional. She's in her late thirties. Like this seems chill. Mm -hmm. Um, but also I think even that aside, yes, I think people are way more open. Absolutely. Do you guys see more, um, because I'm not, my community in general is sort of inherently poly. It's mm. sort of a, taking a stand to be monogamous in my community. Mm -hmm. So um, from your perspective, have you noticed more people kind of coming into this type of relationship, like open and poly stuff? Oh, absolutely. So it's yeah. really followed the trajectory of my new career. I was a journalist before I became a therapist. Um, yep. And then opened up, Alex and I opened up our relationship around the same time that I was becoming a therapist. And so there was this kind of natural gravitation that I had towards working with folks who were non-monogamous or exploring non-monogamy, mm -hmm. even kind of trying to control for that. And in that short arc of time, there mm -hmm. are more people contacting me and my colleagues almost every week saying that they're interested in exploring non-monogamy or some kind of non-traditional relationship. And they're looking for folks who have some area of, ex you know, some expertise around that or comfort level with it, or, you know, an, yeah. an ability to just communicate around it. So I do think that there is 
there is a real trend there. Um, and it may speak yeah. to our city specifically, yep. but oh gosh, yeah. I think generally, uh, you know, I wrote an article last spring about trends in non-monogamy and related to COVID. And again, hard to find data, but there is some data showing that more broadly than in Seattle or in the Pacific Northwest, there is a national trend in this direction too. It's, it's hard to track and it's still yeah. relatively small, but there is some kind of trajectory there. Mm-hmm. I love that. Me too. <laughs> I love options for people. I support my monogamous friends, my non-monogamous friends, my confused friends. Like, I think the more options, the better, right? With intimacy. And the opportunity to be creative and collaborative mm-hmm. and for it to feel more fun than scary. I know I was thinking mm-hmm. about that, like, when you were talking about what you wish for, for like little, little boys in a world where it seems like they have few options. Um, and I was like, yeah, I just... I would want for kids growing up now to be able to think about how they have sex and who they have sex with and the types of relationships that they have, that that feels more creative and fun than scary and shameful. Like, I just want to be able to move the needle in that direction, you know? Oof. Oof. Yes. Please. Please. It does really feel like the criminalization of sex work is like kind of at the center of that too. It's like, Mm. as long as that's a thing... It's mm-hmm. kind of, it's like sending this very strong, strong message that there's something wrong with, with sex, right? Absolutely. That's the, that's the intent. That's what they mean to do. Um, and I don't think as many people as we think hate sex work, hate sex work. Um, but I think that it completely undermines power in the United States to be able to charge for that type of companionship. Mm. Um, and mm. I, I don't ever see it being decriminalized, honestly, really? as, as the state stands now. Yeah, I don't. Um, Why do you say that? Because you think it would be so threatening? I think that everything would have to be completely different um, for how power works in the U.S. for it to be decriminalized. Are you, are you talking about like the power inside of relationships? Like that, or tell us a little bit more about what you mean. Well, I, I mean, I said it, I think, before in the podcast, and it's kind of a line that I use a lot, is that this country was founded by Puritans um, who specifically hated sex. Um, and it is written into almost anything and everything, sort of the limitation of who is allowed to have it, why they're allowed to have it. We're still debating gay marriage, which is just shockingly true. Um and that is, I don't know, indicative of, I think that we, we as a country, swang, swung, swinged, um, swingled. Swingled. Uh, pretty, I like swingled. Swingled, yeah. We swingled pretty far in one direction in the last few years, which was a really open direction, um, a really human direction, um, a really, I don't know, yeah, a really open-minded direction. And now the the other side is sort of swinging back pretty hard. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I don't foresee as it stay, as our country stands now, I do not f- foresee decriminalization of sex work on a federal level ever. Hmm. That has the ring of deep truth in it. And it also is making me feel really depressed. Yeah. I, well, but, and 
I think that there's still beauty and hope. And I think that the world is a bad, hard place, but it's also a beautiful place. Um, and I think that what I do is right and what I do is good. Um, and I have to believe that in my heart and be proud of what I do and not depend on society to tell me I am good and right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is hard work. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So anyway, that's just a little take. Yeah. Fun. Thank you. Um, that was a very beautiful take there at the end too, about, uh, having to hold for yourself and, and having a community that helps hold us in choices that the culture doesn't reflect back. Um, and mm-hmm. still being able to say we are good and what we do is valuable yeah. and important. And we know that even if we live at a time that tells us otherwise. Yeah. That's a, mm-hmm. and it's, it's hard work to do that or it's like, it's taxing and definitely, I mean, just in a smaller way, being mm-hmm. non-monogamous, yeah. you have to carry some of that, right? You have to justify your choices and really believe that it's okay mm-hmm. and you're not doing something wrong even when there's a lot of messages that are telling you that. Mm-hmm. You really do. You're not going to get a lot of kudos culturally. I mean, at best, it's it's made fun of or taken lightly, right, in, in popular culture, um, mm-hmm. sort of joked about um, poly stuff. Yeah. Um, it's almost never, like, I think... It, is the is Will and Jada, they're Polly? Is that right? They That's are. And thing for me to say, <laughs> they're they're amazing. They are I think probably it's cool as hell. It is cool as hell, and they're just so chaotic. I mean, yeah. part of part of I don't, what are is they, wild about are they, it. Like they're on the same they're page probably, about it. They are, but they have like gone back and forth between like making that announcement and retracting uh-huh. it. You know, so it's like been that's the chaos of it. It's yeah. like at this point, everyone's like, yeah, you guys clearly are or have gone through periods where you were, you know. Yeah, last season on the podcast, we had a clip from an interview with them where they were like very, very haltingly and painfully like talking about their their decision to be folly or how it played out. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah, which is, sorry. I mean, we all know those couples, right, that are chaotically poly. I'm like, I know chaotically monogamous people. Yeah, exactly. Chaos comes for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I was even just thinking about, you know, the acknowledgement of the hard work that people have to do to hold themselves and their values and their goodness and their community, no matter what this culture says about them. And of course, for folks, the the less privilege and less representation you have around your identities and their intersections, whether that's race, class, uh, sexuality, um, or monogamy and non-monogamy or the work that you do, the harder Mm -hmm. and heavier that can be. Um, and mm-hmm. the more taxing that can be, and also then the deep like joy and resonance when you find more people that can help you do it and reflect that goodness back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know how to segue into out of something like that beautiful and deep into these like what seem to be these like they they seem like these kind of flip not flip but like silly things to talk about, but. I really wanted to ask Vaughn about unicorn hunting and Twitter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Are those two things <laughs> intersecting or? I don't know if they have intersections, no, but Vaughn will tell me if they do. Twitter, Let's go, unicorn it. hunter. Let's do it. Well, okay. The, What's so the question? The question is just, as a bi-queer woman, mm-hmm. uh, I love having sex with folks all, all across the, the gender spectrum, and I like having sex with men and women at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. and I knew 
pretty early on in becoming non-monogamous that one of the things that I was going to want to do is have sex with another woman and a man at the same mm -hmm. time. And then immediately realized that this was considered kind of a problematic or potentially problematic behavior. Um, and so I have thoughts of my own about this, but I would just love to hear from you. Do you have folks coming to you who are like, uh, we want to have sex in this configuration, but we don't want to be shitty unicorn hunters or people are kind of suspicious of us. And right. also what are your thoughts more broadly about it? More broadly. Okay. This is a Pandora's box. I know. Um, and uh, luckily here we are. So let's okay. go. Um, I think that it can be, so it's not inherently a bad thing to be unicorn hunting. Um, I think that where the sentiment comes from is from um, queer communities who have experienced um, sort of, what is it called? Um, they're sort of required to be attracted to, or required to be heterosexual. And they feel like when dating apps are being used and just one picture of one partner is being used. I see. Um, that, that's sort of a, a bit of a honey trap. And then it's either later in conversation while the, they've matched or whatever, um, that the other partner is mentioned, um, or it's the last photo in the <laughs> options or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. they sort of feel like, oh, I'm being, they're trying to trick me. Okay. Mm. Um, that's where that comes in. Now I think that, you know, first photo is both partners and the headline is like, looking for a third like that to me is like pretty upfront right there. Mm -hmm. Um, but the doing it the other way feels sort of disingenuous and like sort of trying to trick someone a little bit and like show that the lady's pretty, you know, um, and then show the <laughs> pow, the part, the like her the troll has male partner, the cis <laughs> male partner, the la ah, he's out, you know, um, it reminds me of, I used to do hitchhiking a little bit. <laughs> when oh, I was yeah. younger and right. the classic like I would stand on the side of the road with like one spaghetti strap off my shoulder and my thumb out uh -huh. and then, yeah. like the boyfriend would be hidden behind Hiding the backpack the yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah does that ever really work though not with hitchhiking but with like like it's not like they're gonna trick anybody actually right like I think that well that's has it worked I have no idea I've not known anyone who that's worked with um but it's maybe sort of happened so much <laughs> that it, that we've all sort of regarded it in this. We're like, oh, come on. Like, mm -hmm. um, what are you doing? Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if it works. I don't, I, I bet it, it must have. I mean, people do it enough that, right? It must It wouldn't worked. be a phenomenon. We wouldn't have a term yeah. for this if there wasn't. Yeah, Some okay, you're saying that's what unicorn in, hunting in is. is. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh -huh. I mean, I've also heard it framed like trying to get a woman involved with a couple in a way where her sort of autonomy or like her wants and desires are are kind of uh, erased in, in comparison to the, the couple. And she's just, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, the, what, what's going on between the couple is what really matters. And um, yeah. And maybe that's where you come in sometimes. Well, yeah. So that's, that's a great point. Um, the, the other, I think, point of, of tension or contention is that, um, when people are unicorn hunting, they sort of see the third as, um, just someone 
whose whose emotions aren't as important as theirs mm-hmm. or whose relationship to the others or mental health isn't as important as the two people who are together, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's where something sort of funny and lightly like, oh, what are these people doing on this dating app becomes like actual emotional like irresponsibility. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I... I absolutely hear that. And I've seen that, but, um, and that's, yeah, where someone like me can come in because we, well, best case scenario, we have great boundaries. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and we are, for some reason, um, queer people are attracted to sex work and sex work is attracted to queer people. And that's a whole other podcast, but, um, you get a lot of people in my job who like, like their work and like to, um, do the thing with, with two people. <laughs> I don't want to be like crass, but you know, who, who enjoy couples. So, and that's why some of us even mention in our ads or on our websites, like we are the unicorns you're hunting. Um, <laughs> hello, we we are. hand raised his yeah. eye. Um, which is what I, I love. I personally love seeing couples. Um, yeah. What do you love about it, Fun? I, I just really do honestly love people. And then I get to hang out with two people instead of one. (laughs) Um, I get to see people interact. Um, I get to hear about their process of coming to see me. I get to meet people who are pretty open-minded in relationships that are working really well, um, well enough to come see me. Right. Um, I get to meet people who respect my profession um, who are fairly versed in what I do, you know, have read at least a few articles. Um, when couples come to me, they're, they're very much like that. So we often have a lot in common. Um, yeah. So just off the top of my head, those are a few things. I love how romantic that is, (laughs) you know, like in sort of, (laughs) it's like maybe in contrast to assumptions that people make about the experience of group sex or people going to sex workers or everybody's reasons involved. There's just like a lot of sweetness and, and just like romance in that too. God. Yeah. And I just love seeing couples together too. And whenever we're all doing our thing and they're doing their thing together, I get to witness this, these two people in love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and they may be doing some dirty thing. Like, it doesn't matter what they're doing, but they love each other. And I'm like, hell yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. I love that. And I was thinking about, and I, I know we're at 11 o'clock and I'm not going to take up any more time, but <laughs> just thinking about how a ribbon throughout this podcast has been, how do we define non-monogamy? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I just got a hit of that when you're saying, I'm like, it has something to do with love. And having mm-hmm. a complex view of it and a lot of like wide open creative space for what it looks like. Yep. Mm-hmm. I have one more question that I want to ask and we don't, because we don't have to include it necessarily, but I, if you're comfortable answering it, um, I like to uh, think, always think about like, what is the, what is the burning question that listeners are going to have? And mm-hmm. I think in this case it might be um, how do you, not get in trouble, right? You're doing something that's not legal and here you are like talking about it on our podcast. Um, what is that? How does that work? Or how, if people wanted to go to a sex worker 
you know, like, yeah. are there ways to do it yeah, where you wouldn't great, get in trouble? Like, I feel yeah. for like a lot of our right. listeners, that's yeah. probably what they want to know. We don't think it's yeah. unethical, right. but it is still illegal. So how do right. we, how do we go about that? Yeah. I think Google is your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, so to answer your question, I think if couples or people are interested in seeing a sex worker, that all of our services are not the same. Um, and none of us would ever do anything illegal if we knew it was. Um, and that for anyone interested in seeing um, an escort, companion, sex worker, Google is your friend. Um, do your research. Um, we're out here. Um, we're often kicked off of platforms, but we're often on those platforms too. Um, you can get a good idea of who we are on those platforms. Um, and then from there kind of choose how you want to move forward. It's going to depend on where you're at in the world, um, different kinds of criminalization or not, but, um, we are everywhere actually. (laughs) Um, and we are all so different from each other. So there's someone for everyone. I love that. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Anything else that you want to add or mention? Did we hit more on, because you mentioned being a therapist Mm -hmm. and how your labor is not seen as sort of cheating on your spouse, even though you're doing (laughs) a lot of emotional work with folks. I I think that it's just fascinating to look at this type of work, this type of labor. You listed some of it, often feminized, um, absolutely essential, and often sometimes taboo. In some places, it's become, uh, there's like a way to become certified mm-hmm. and legal and paid. And mm-hmm. I have found that in becoming a therapist. And there's a lot of ways in which it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I just think that's just like really interesting to consider. Um, no, it's super interesting. And I was going to say it's something that um, sex worker circles talk about all the time. We bring up therapists. And <laughs> we say... Really? Yeah, we say therapists aren't criminalized and okay. therapists are people who see some wild stuff and who are who who know the deep ins and outs of someone's emotional landscape in this way that um because there is no physical aspect of touch involved is not criminalized um and how what we do is sometimes that um not often a lot. We, we know we're not therapists, but we do often see people's sort of deep and hidden emotional landscapes and Mm -hmm. try our best to show up for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's wild how we are criminalized, but yeah, you know, therapists are not for reasons. Um, I mean, a surgeon cuts into your body. How intimate is that? Right. Um, a nanny raises your children eight hours a day. I can't think of a more intimate thing, honestly, than to, have my hands on someone else's child. Like that is so intimate. Um, but, but sex workers are criminalized because of who we are, of, of feminized labor, of how power works. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, I just loved what you had said about being a therapist. <laughs> Likewise. I've, I've like got the tingles. I'm yeah. like, whoa, yeah. I, th- I feel like the, c- the conclusion here is to criminalize therapy. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. That's, what, that's what you're saying, right? That's what and child care. And, yeah. child, and child, child care. Child care yeah. and then therapy. <laughs> it's really going to bolster the prison industrial complex. If you can yeah. just criminalize all this stuff. Now you're thinking. Yeah. Now you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Vaughn, this was so great. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. I, I really know that we've had a good conversation when I'm like, well, I want to have 12 more conversations based on the things that we touched on today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Me too.